1: I feel like you're drifting away from me.
0: Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover the tools to build a marriage and family that you love. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina Am. Well, picture this with us Jay and Julie, both in their early 50s and married for 20 years. They're considering divorce. When asked why, Julie pipes in I'm done with this marriage. I feel unloved and rejected by Jay. We don't have an emotional connection and we rarely have sex anymore. Jay then responds like this. Julie loves the kids more than me and always puts them first. She's always complaining about how I don't do anything and she has to do everything. We used to be in love, but now we can hardly stand each other.
1: Whew. Hits home, hey mm. <laughs> there's some feelings there that both of us have um maybe not expressed but have definitely felt. Yeah. And maybe this story sounds familiar to you too, because many couples like Jay and Julie are ready to quit on their marriage and are hoping for quick solutions to try to save it. Well, this is a common problem. The solutions, unfortunately, are never easy. It's like my counseling prof says time and time again the answer is simple, but it's not easy.
0: Yeah. So the good news is that if you are willing to put the effort into rescuing your marriage, there are things that you can do that can give you a fresh start. That's why in today's episode, we want to explore six ways to deepen the love in your marriage. Breaking the cycle of unhappy relationship dynamics requires a radical shift in mindset. Taking responsibility for your part in the conflict or dispute is a great starting point. And you know what? One person's ability to do this can change the entire dynamic of the relationship.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's break it down. Studies show that the most common reason why couples develop serious difficulties is that one or both partners withdraw due to feelings of hurt, anger, and resentment. In a study of 14,000 participants, Dr. Schroedt, found that women were usually, okay, usually, but not always, the ones who demanded or pursued, and men tended to withdraw or distance. This is a vicious cycle where the more the woman pursued, usually looking like making demands, screaming, fighting, controlling, or clinging, the more the man withdrew, that's his response, by distancing himself, avoiding, becoming quiet, or shutting down. John Bowlby, the grandfather of attachment theory, called this cycle the primal panic. At the core of attachment theory is the belief that we are all wired for connection. This drive is wired into every human being as a survival mechanism. We connect to survive. Therefore, emotional isolation can be coded as a life-or-death situation in the part of our brain called the amygdala, which sends alarm signals to our brain and body that we are in danger of isolation. Interestingly, when people feel emotional pain, the same areas of the brain get activated as when people feel physical pain. The shock and distress of rejection and exclusion light up the same part of the brain as physical pain, the interior cingulate. The interior cingulate is active anytime we are separated from our close companions. Y'all, it literally hurts our body and brain to be separated from others. Mm -hmm. This is why it hurts so much when our closest relationships, when our marriage is not one of closeness, oneness, or a safe haven.
0: Yeah. So as a result, many couples play the blame game, which leads to this pursuer, distancer sort of dance that we were talking about. It causes one spouse to essentially chase the other one around. And after a while, they're no longer addressing the issue at hand and thus enter into a vicious cycle of resentment, frustration, and then anger.
1: Relationship expert Dr. Harriet Lerner explains that the recipe for failure in a marriage is waiting for the other person to change. Rather than giving up on their marriage, couples, she suggests, need to learn to lean toward each other. She writes, It's the dissatisfied partner who usually is motivated to change. If you don't take some new action on your behalf, no one else will do it for you.
0: Mm -hmm. So while it's natural to want to give up when your spouse becomes distant, reacting expands the divide between you. Let me say that again. Reacting expands the divide between you. So instead, Dr. Lerner recommends that you take responsibility for warming things up and increasing positive reinforcement. Practicing what Dr. John Gottman calls emotional attunement, this can help you stay connected in spite of your differences. That means turning toward one another, listening and showing empathy rather than turning away or ignoring your spouse. Dr. Gottman recommends a five to one ratio of interactions, which means every, for every negative interaction, you need five positive ones. Now, we don't have time to unpack the differences between turning toward or away from one another, but this is a crucial aspect of marriage that we've talked about extensively on previous podcasts. So we'll link that and the podcast episodes that we've talked about this on at inbetween.org episode 179.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that, Daniel, because Dr. Gottman discovered in over 40 years of research with thousands of couples that the number one solution to marital problems is to get good at repair, repairing your relationship. He calls it the secret weapon of emotionally intelligent couples. We wanted to go through six ways to deepen the love in your marriage based on the work of Dr. John Gottman.
0: All right. So number one, share your complaint Without pointing fingers. Do you have a habit of criticizing your spouse? Mm. Do you use the words always and never often? For example, you are always late or you never take out the trash. But you know what? Talking about specific issues will always have better results than attacking your spouse with the alwayses and the nevers.
1: The always is, I like that. <laughs> yeah, the always is, is. is. Yeah.
0: So for example, a complaint is, hey, I was worried when you didn't call me. We agreed that we'd check in when one of us was running late. That would be a complaint. And a criticism would be, you never follow through. You're so selfish. Even mm-hmm. though you're thinking about the fact that your spouse didn't call you and didn't check in you didn't share those details instead you just said you never follow through you're so selfish
1: yeah what an attack on character versus actually verbalizing what you need
0: yeah and the other may have no idea or may actually turn to something else Mm -hmm. in terms of what the example is or what you think your spouse might be talking about right Mm -hmm. you know it's always difficult Uh, To hear your spouse and to be able to respond when you feel attacked. Yeah. Remember that primal panic that we talked about earlier? When you feel that your relationship is in danger, the alarm bells go off in your brain and body. And as a result, it's really hard to hear one another. So next time, try to share your complaint without blame or criticism
1: hmm. And you know what? If you found uh, you're thinking, you're like, oh, my goodness, I <laughs> just did that to my spouse. A part of repairing and we'll get into it is to apologize. Mm-hmm. So you can go back and be like, hey, I don't know if you remember, but I was just listening to this podcast about uh, criticism versus a complaint. And I realized I criticized you. And I'm sorry for that. This is what I was trying to say, but I didn't do it so eloquently. Can I try again?
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah please try again. <laughs> okay, sure, <Yeah. laughs> Let's hear it.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, that's awesome.
1: Right. So, well, that leads us to our second point, repair conflicts with skill. You know, it's really easy to try to sweep things under the carpet, especially when we're the one that's wrong we're like whatever they know i'm sorry but do they really and sometimes resentments can just build up and build up and build up until it's kind of like that jenga where you pull out one brick that has nothing to do with what maybe you were talking about and it all comes tumbling down so don't put aside resentments that can destroy your marriage mm-hmm. After interviewing and observing thousands of couples, Dr. Gottman found that there are two types of conflicts. This is so fascinating. Solvable and perpetual. Solvable conflicts are the ones that we can come to an agreement upon. We just maybe need to spend some time talking about it. On the other hand, 69% of problems in a relationship are perpetual. They are unsolvable. Did you catch that? More than half of the problems that you have in your relationship with your spouse, actually nearly three quarters of them, are not solvable. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> exactly. And now you may be thinking, huh, maybe that's why we're having some issues here. Now, these perpetual problems may be things like personality traits your spouse has that annoy you, or long standing issues around extended family member dynamics, or how you want to spend your holidays. So trying to solve unsolvable problems is counterproductive, and no marriage will ever completely eliminate them. That's not the goal either. Instead, discussing the issues can provide you and your spouse a great opportunity for understanding and growth on both your parts bouncing back from disagreements rather than avoiding conflict is key because couples who strive to avoid it are at risk of developing stagnant relationships. You know, there's so much more than I can say about this. Unfortunately, we don't have the time, but I'll definitely link to the episodes where we talked about how to solve perpetual issues, how to solve solvable issues in your marriage. And if you go to inbetween.org slash episode 179, you'll have those links there.
0: Yeah. So now let's move to the third way to deepen the love in your marriage. It's to stick to talking about the issues at hand. Hmm. So when you are in an argument with your spouse, right, you're in the middle of that, ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish in this? Am I just arguing because I want to win or I don't want to lose? What is the purpose behind this argument? Why did it even start? Avoid name calling, because that's never a good thing. Right. And don't attack your partner personally. Remember, anger is usually a symptom of underlying hurt, fear, and frustration.
1: Ooh, there's a mic drop moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's never all always about the anger, right? Yeah. There's always there's always something underneath that. Like that
1: iceberg thing. Yeah. What's underneath that. Completely.
0: Mm-hmm. Anger unfortunately, is just that emotion for most of us that is most easily accessed. Mm -hmm. So when you feel that way, ask questions. When you're in the middle of that argument, when you're feeling that anger, ask questions that go deeper to understand the positive need that your spouse is seeking. Avoid defensiveness. Avoid showing contempt for your partner, which means avoiding that rolling of your eyes. I mean, you hate it when your kids do it. Yeah, exactly. Right. How much more your spouse? Drives me nuts. Right? (laughs) Uh, Ridicule, name calling, sarcasm, all of that can be signs of contempt. Now, talking about contempt, the heart of contempt is what you're essentially doing is putting yourself on a pedestal and looking down on your spouse. Hmm. That in an image is what contempt looks like. Contempt is an attitude where the spouse, where you think that you are better or superior than the other person, which is why you're on that pedestal and you're looking down and you're showing them what life is supposed to look like and what you're supposed to do in that situation, right? Yeah,
1: my way or the highway.
0: Exactly. Now, you may think that you're smarter, neater, cleaner, more punctual, more considerate, more thoughtful, more more helpful, more of everything than your spouse. Uh, Which is why you're looking down on the person who is lesser than all of the ways that you are better than them. Mm. Right. So it's that position of, hey, you know what? I'm okay, but you're not. Yeah. Dr. Gottman calls the calls contempt, he calls all of this the sulfuric acid of relationships because it eats right through the relationships. In fact, contempt is one of the highest predictors of divorce. Mm-hmm. So when contempt is displayed, it's honestly virtually impossible to engage in a constructive dialogue. I mean, imagine receiving that contempt and yeah. seeing that through your spouse's eyes. How is it how, how do you stay calm or how do you have a productive conversation in that, a constructive one? Right. So hard, right?
1: Well, and also if um, you're just so used to this the being on the receiving end and understanding that whatever you say doesn't count because your spouse always thinks they're right. Yeah, so you're yeah. always thinks you're wrong. Like no wonder um, people would shut down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or respond with even more conflict.
1: Yeah. Very true.
0: Right. So, but when you think about it and let's say maybe you're thinking, oh, you know what? I, I do show signs of that, or my spouse does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact is, it doesn't develop overnight. When one spouse feels unappreciated and unvalued, frustration builds up. And over time, verbal interactions between you and your spouse begin filling with contempt. Yeah. But it often starts when you or your spouse feel unappreciated or unvalued. So it doesn't start with contempt. Contempt isn't that first thing, but it often creeps into the relationship as needs go unmet.
1: Exactly. And that's why we talked about criticism because criticism is is one of the uh, signs that if it continues to go on or resentment continues to build, then it'll lead to contempt. Mm -hmm. So don't go there.
0: Yes, please. (laughs) Or if you are, you know, you can start with a conversation. You can can say, hey, so I've noticed that... Uh I've been interacting with you through and with a lot of contempt. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. And then go back and, and start moving toward reconciliation and repairing mm-hmm. in that way. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Available wherever books are sold.
1: So why we're talking about this really is um, there is like quick seconds between feeling something, thinking something, and saying something. Okay? So there's really like just a few seconds. It's... If you're not aware of it, it feels like it happens naturally, right? So what we're trying to do is in those few seconds of um, like feeling anger rise in you and about to say something, if we could extend those few seconds just by like another second or two seconds Mm, um, of you're opening your mouth to say something because you're angry and then you just take another breath and are aware of, okay, I'm feeling angry. I'm wanting to yell at my spouse and tell them that, you know, they're trash. And having those few seconds of, no, okay, actually, what do I need? I'm upset because I have a need that is unmet and so not just reacting but responding. Yeah. So that's why we're talking about this if we can deepen our love through just even extending those thoughts or extending the um space between feelings and thoughts and speaking by a couple of seconds, woof, that'll that'll change a relationship. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe you've heard of it like the 5 second rule, right? Or <laughs> from the Bible, be quick to listen, mm-hmm. slow to speak. Right. Be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry and abounding in love. Exactly. Right. So what does that look like in your relationship? Mm
1: -hmm. Very, very true. There's something to chew (laughs) on. All right. Well, let's get into point number four. Show some love through physical touch. Is this one your favorite? (laughs)
0: You know it, babe. Mine
1: too, because actually it's my love language. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, according to author Dr. Floyd, holding hands, hugging, and touching can release oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone that causes a calming sensation, not just for you, but your spouse. Studies show that it's released during sexual orgasm, but also affectionate touch as well. Physical affection also reduces stress hormones, lowering daily levels of the stress hormone cortisol. The 6-second kiss is one simple and fun activity that Dr. Gottman advocates couples incorporate into their everyday moments of transition. So talking about moments of transition, thinking about um like getting ready to go to work or coming back home after a long day, incorporating a 6-second kiss. So described by Gottman, is it's long enough to feel romantic.
0: Yeah, it's not a peck.
1: No, exactly. The 6-second kiss serves as a temporary oasis within a busy day and creates a deliberate break between the on-the-job mentality like going to or from work and a couple's one-on-one on one time together.
0: Yeah, it really it really does break things up because yeah. naturally when I'm leaving or you're leaving or we're going somewhere it's it's the peck, right? Mm-hmm. Or even if it's two seconds
1: and it's kind of mindless right it's just just um we've always kissed to say goodbye hello whatever like that's it yeah
0: exactly but doing a six second kiss it really does break rhythms up because it's not a quick kiss Mm -hmm. it feels a lot longer than six seconds yes and when we do that in front of the kids the kids are like wait what
1: are they're doing? like awkward
0: uh, or they're like Ooh. <laughs> exactly <laughs>
1: right yes.
0: but i love that because it does serve as that i love that phrase you said christina temporary oasis within a busy day Mm -hmm. and that deliberate break so it's a great way to show love
1: yeah for sure and maybe you're like i don't want to do a six second kiss that feels a little bit too vulnerable (laughs) 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 they also studies have also showed that a 20 second hug yes so a six second kiss, 20 second yeah, hug. That's another
0: interrupter too, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't often hug someone for 20 seconds. No, no. usually not.
1: <laughs> uh, I just even think of this past week, Daniel, you were going through a really tough time. Oh, just yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, and you were on your computer and I was like, hey, can you turn to me? And you're like, oh, OK. So a little bit of an interrupter there. Yes. And I said, can you stand up and I can give you a 20 second hug just for an oxytocin boost? And you're like, OK. <laughs> and
0: then we went upstairs afterwards. No, we didn't. <laughs> no, we didn't. OK. <laughs> I wanted to, though. But how did it feel? OK. Oh, so- yeah. No, it was a great interrupter. Right. It was. It was a. <sighs> OK. OK. It really felt like a reset.
1: Mm, hmm. There you go. Yeah. yeah because you're actually moving from your head from your like brain into mm-hmm. your body which yeah. is great for stress relief but also you're getting some good um boosts of of good hormones yeah that's right to yeah to help you continue on your day
0: yeah there you go brain science scripture relationship health all the I good stuff <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move to the fifth way to deepen the love in your marriage this is to grow your fondness and admiration Now, when's the last time you reminded yourself of your spouse's positive qualities? I mean, I know it's really easy to think about the flaws of your spouse, and those are often the things, I mean, that's just the culture we live in, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Fix what's broken sort of thing. Uh, But even as you grapple with their flaws, uh, what does it look like to express your positive feelings to them and their positive qualities and point them out several times each day? In addition, try searching for common ground rather than insisting on getting your way. I know that's a natural thing, at least it is for me, that we all want our way when we're in an argument or in a disagreement, but instead of fighting for that, what does it look like for you to search for that common ground? You can listen in addition to their point of view uh, and avoid shutting them off or yourself off from communication. You know, oftentimes in conversation, you're not always listening. You're not always present. A lot of times people are just waiting for the other person to finish speaking to then share their point.
1: Mm, guilty.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, me Especially too. Especially in
1: an argument. No, of course. Right.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, all right. And then you're building up your debate case.
1: Well, remember when he did this five yeah. years ago? <laughs> exactly. <He's gonna laughs> bring, that bring that up.
0: Back. <laughs> yeah. So instead, what does it look like to truly genuinely listen? We appreciate what Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Principles of Highly Effective People says. He says this, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. So if you're like most people, you probably seek first to be understood. You probably seek first to get your point across. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, you may end up ignoring the other person completely Because you're pretending you're listening, right? You're only hearing selective parts of the conversation. So instead, what does it look like to first seek to understand and then to be understood?
1: Mm -hmm. So, why does this happen? Why does trying to get our point across or tuning out the other person uh, to try to concentrate on what we're going to say next? Why does this happen? Well, it's because most people listen with the intent to reply and not to understand. You listen to yourself as you prepare in your mind what you're going to say, the questions you're going to ask, the like quick one-liners that are just going to like pierce them. You filter everything you hear through your life experiences and your frame of reference. You check what you hear against your thoughts and narratives and see how it measures up. Like, huh, that's not the way we do things here. Consequently, you decide prematurely what the other person means before they finish communicating. Ugh, I've been there.
0: Yep. Well,
1: this may be a natural well, way Well, I'm not
0: move. saying yes to you. I'm saying yes to me.
1: Good, I was going to respond with something, but I'll take it back.
0: You're going yeah. pier- to pierce the response. Yeah. You wait
1: for that one-liner. It's going to be a zinger.
0: Oh, you're so good at those one-liners. I though. sure am. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a talent I'm not proud yeah. of. <laughs> Well, while this may be a natural way of reacting, this doesn't mean that it is the most effective way of communicating. It certainly, as we know firsthand, does not help grow the fondness and admiration in your relationship. Now, one simple way of growing fondness and admiration is to look for opportunities to say thank you to your mm. spouse instead of looking for the ways of, like, you don't pick up your socks. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What you, can I say? Something
0: to get off your chest, I, there, Christina well,
1: Not just you, all the kids, <laughs> <laughs> socks everywhere. As we know, it's the bane of my existence. But what can I look for to say thank you? Hey, thanks for putting your backpack away. Or yeah, like that kind thanks of. Thanks for right? putting
0: one of your socks away. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. Nudge, mm. nudge. Wing, wing. <laughs> no, don't do that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's not have that. But let's truly look for ways that we can say thank you as part of our vocabulary, Mm -hmm. not trying to hint that someone isn't doing something. Yeah. So, like, hey, let's say thanks for making the bed. Yeah. Thanks for passing the butter. For our nine-year-old son, thank you for brushing your teeth. Yes. (laughs) So uh, let's share our fondness for one another. But thanks must extend beyond what you do for me into who you are okay so thank you for showing kindness yeah thank you for being there for me not thank you for picking up a sock
0: yes (laughs) but we can start there but don't end there Yeah, yeah good okay so we've run through five ways let's go to the sixth way to deepen the love in your marriage practice apologizing and forgiving you know Recent studies have shown that forgiveness is an essential component of successful romantic relationships. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is an essential component of successful romantic relationships. In fact, the capacity to seek and grant forgiveness is one of the most significant factors contributing to marital satisfaction and a lifetime of love. Couples who practice forgiveness can rid themselves of the toxic hurt and shame that holds them back from feeling connected to each other.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus uh, shows us over and over again in the Bible about forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But let's first clarify the meaning of the word forgiveness, Three Hebrew words and four Greek words are translated forgive in the English scriptures. They are basic synonyms with slightly different meanings. The key ideas of this are to cover, to take away, to pardon, and to be gracious to.
0: Hmm. So forgiveness is about covering, taking away, pardoning, and be gracious. Yes. Wow.
1: So it's interesting, hmm. right? It's like the English language probably only has what? There's not that many words to really when you're talking about forgiveness, yeah. but uh, in the Greek and Hebrew, when it there's just a little bit more nuance yeah, that's to that. Good. I love that. So the most common of these is the idea of taking away one's sins or failures. For example, in the Psalms, there's a verse: "As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us." This psalm is speaking of God's forgiveness. Thus, God's forgiveness is relieving the person from God's judgment. God's forgiveness means that our sins no longer stand as a barrier between us and him. Forgiveness removes a distance and allows us open communion with a holy God. Mm, I love that. Now, the same is true in human forgiveness. Forgiveness means we choose to lift the penalty to pardon the offender. It means letting go of the offense and welcoming the offender back into your life. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but a decision. It is the decision to continue growing in the relationship by removing the barrier. Now, if you're the offended party, forgiveness means that you will not seek revenge, that you will not demand justice, and that you will not let the offense stand between the two of you. Forgiveness can result in reconciliation, but, and we want to underline this, it does not mean that trust is immediately restored. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean trust. That can take time in seeing the fruit of your spouse in meaning what they say. Now an apology is an important part of what Dr. Chapman calls the forgiveness cycle. An offense is committed, an apology is made, and forgiveness is given. There is so much more to unpack in apologizing and forgiving and restoring trust and reconciliating with one another. So, we don't have time to do that today, but we will be breaking it down in another episode coming soon. So, stay tuned for that.
0: So, there you go, podcast family. There you have it. Six ways to deepen the love in your marriage. Number one, share your complaint without pointing fingers. Two, repair conflicts with skill. 3. Stick to talking about the issues at hand. 4. Show some love through physical touch. Number 5, grow your fondness and admiration. And number 6, practice apologizing and forgiving. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. You can find the show notes at inbetween.org/episode179. If you want to share this with your spouse or with a friend, that has come to mind, you can just text them the link org slash episode 179, or you can hit hit the share button on your favorite podcasting app and send it to them that way. All right. Thanks again for listening in. We'll catch you next time.